Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Edward Mullen podcast. I'm, of course, Edward Mullen. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll notice that I take a long break in between recording the podcasts, and this is simply for two reasons. One, because I usually don't like to sit down and talk to myself. If I can get a guest, that's great, Uh, but usually I just uh, record them by myself lately. And two is that I've just been so busy. Lately, I've been preparing for uh, the release of my latest book called Prodigy, which is a techno thriller based in the future, kind of focuses on the perils of technology. And that has taken up most of my time. I'm also writing another novel. I'm, uh, I went to Southeast Asia most recently. I was there for a month with my girlfriend, Sarah. Similar to last year, Sarah and I went to Europe for a month. And I recorded a bunch of videos and I posted them on my YouTube channel Sarah and I recorded a podcast recapping our European trip. So this year I wanted to do the same. I've already started posting some of the photos on Facebook. I wanted to record a podcast because there's a lot of crazy stories, a lot of hilarious stories. And so I wanted to recap that trip as well. So on the first leg of the tour, Sarah and I took a flight from Vancouver to Hong Kong, which is something like a 12-hour flight. So when we arrive, we have to take a train from the airport into the city, and that's like a 30-minute train ride. But it takes you from a rural part of Hong Kong into the city, and along the way, there's lots of cool things to see. There's, there's Hong Kong Disneyland and some other cool things. So we get off at our stop, and Sarah has a map that she printed off Google Map, but it's not really clear because when you get off the train, there's a lot of different ways you can go, and things aren't marked very clearly, and there's a lot of different levels. So there was a bit of confusion on which way to go at first. We're hot and exhausted. We've just been on this long plane ride. We're trudging through the city, carrying these really heavy packs, but eventually we find our way to our hotel, which is only a couple blocks away, walking distance from the stop. And and Hong Kong, if you've never been, is is overwhelmingly huge. It's a really, really dense vertical city. There's just skyscrapers, as far as I can see, people everywhere. Like unless you live in like London or Tokyo or or Hong Kong, you really don't understand how many people live there. So we're in Hong Kong for a few days and Sarah has a friend there. Well she has a bunch of friends there, but one of the friends said that he was going to take us to the peak, which I believe is a gondola up to the top of this mountain peak, and I guess you can overlook the city. So we kind of had that planned for Thursday, I believe, and we got to Hong Kong on like a Monday, let's say. And so this dude never emailed Sarah back. Like, she had spoken with him like a few days prior to getting to Hong Kong, and then emailed him when we got there, emailed him the next day, the next day, the next day, and this dude just finally on thursday be like yeah sorry i have been busy kind of a really flaky guy and really pissed us off but anyway so we never actually got to the peak uh we had a lot of time to go there but we just figured oh yeah yeah we'll go on thursday so for the most part we spent a lot of time just kind of touring around the city and you know that was kind of cool because you got to see a little bit how people live their life there and from what i saw First of all, there's just way too many people that that can't be healthy to live in a city with that many people and the smog and the noise and the like the neighborhood we stayed in was actually quite 
rundown. Then the hotel was nice, but you know, a lot of buildings were kind of shabby and you know, everyone was like hanging their clothes to dry because space is very limited there. It's like I mentioned earlier, it's a vertical city. They don't have a lot of space. So they build up and the apartment units don't have the luxury of having washer and dryer. So I believe I didn't go into the apartments, but so I believe they wash their clothes by hand and they dry them outside. So they live on like the 40th floor and they have a little like all the buildings seem to have this little like clothes hanger type thing hanging outside the window so you open their window and there's no patio you just open your window on the 40th floor you know reach your arm out and hang your clothes and everybody does this and it dries in the sun so i thought that was kind of interesting i believe that night we went to the night market which is just like any other night market you've seen just kind of a, a shanty town of pop-up shops with merchants selling bootleg stuff you know bootleg uh beats by dre headphones bootleg gucci bags and louis vuitton bags and basically anything you can think of and there's lots of other like you know t-shirts like i love hong kong and just you know hats and wallets and belts and and toys and that kind of junk but so we basically walk through the night market just kind of checking things out and there's it's late at night but there's literally hundreds of thousands of people walking the street so from the night market we basically walk to another market which is called i believe the fish market and there's just rows and rows of shops for you know three blocks or maybe even longer of just stores selling fish you know all kinds of fish right and it's not it's like, you know, pet fish, or I don't know what they do with them, but it's kind of like a, a fish store in North America. And uh, for some reason, they have this massive fish market. And there's thousands of people walking around. And then we walk another, you know, several blocks to this restaurant. And there's thousands of people all around there. It just seemed like anywhere we go, there was... The, the streets are crowded. I've actually got a lot of videos of this so you can check out some of the videos there's just people everywhere it's crazy and it's late at night it's like you know whatever 10 11 I'm like these people don't work or maybe they do work but they just they i guess they like their nightlife there so the next day we went to a place called kowloon park which is this massive park in the middle of the city it's similar to like central park in new york and it has this giant wall around it which is 200 plus years old. It basically just walked around there for a bit. There's like a bird sanctuary and some nice landscape grass and, you know, man-made ponds and waterfalls. And it was really nice. I believe from there, we walked down a bit to the water's edge where we could take a ferry to central Hong Kong, which is actually an island off the mainland of Hong Kong, as far as I can remember. So when you take the ferry across, it immediately becomes clear that there's a disparity in class. The very first thing you see is massive skyscrapers with state-of-the-art architecture. They're like so nice. There's some famous ones that show up in movies like the Bank of China and this other one. 
the Lippo Twin Towers looks like kind of like turtles crawling up the side of this skyscraper. It's crazy. If you haven't seen it, Google it. L-I-P-P-O, Twin Towers, Lippo Towers. I actually posted some photos on my Facebook page in the Hong Kong slash Macau 2013 album. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive so we from there we went to this bird sanctuary which is this massive i guess it was like a domed structure and the dome was made out of a net so they couldn't fly away and inside looked like a tropical paradise it was this uh walkway which was elevated off the ground maybe i don't know two stories three stories and you look down upon flowing water and man-made ponds and all these tropical plants. And in there's like, you know, a thousand species of birds. And they're all just kind of flying around and, and eating these little things. They have like corn on the cob stands so the birds would fly to it and peck at it. And you could take pictures. It's really, really incredible. And there's some really exquisite birds that I've never seen before. Um, I've took a bunch of pictures of the birds, but I didn't post them because, you know, I took 1,400 photos and I had to make some concessions to, to leave out some of them. So so outside of that sanctuary is another kind of park, which I took a bunch of photos. I think I posted them. There's, you know, turtles everywhere and it's this man-made pond. I think there's two man-made ponds and palm trees. It's really, really beautiful and you can overlook some of the architecture, the, some of the, the skyscrapers. And then we went up to the Bank of China, which is this really famous building with they're like triangles kind of stacked together. It's, and it's hard to describe, but you get to go up in that and overlook the city, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And one thing I actually forgot, when you get off the ferry, you go to this little kind of mall area and there's the world's, well, I don't know if it's the world's biggest, but it's this massive Apple store, which is like two floors, but each floor is the size of like... Oh, I want to try to figure out an analogy. I don't know. One floor is really massive and there's actually a lineup to get in. The place was packed and they had a velvet rope and a lineup of people and a bouncer at the door letting people in as people left. It was really kind of weird to see. So anyway, we from there we took this kind of trolley train thing. It was like a one kind of car bus that ran on these tracks and it's really thin and narrow and... Uh, we got off at this like shopping district. Well, what appeared to be a shopping district. It was a shopping district, but what I mean to emphasize is that it was just one of many because you go to one of these shopping districts and first of all, there's, like I said, hundreds of thousands of people walking around. The, the sidewalks are packed. Everywhere is, you see is people. And there's you know massive skyscrapers and shops and all that kind of stuff. And in any other city... This would be the downtown core where all the you know major shopping is. In Hong Kong, that's just one of you know several dozen because you walk two blocks and there's another city center shopping district, and then you walk another three blocks and there's another one and there's another one. It's just ridiculously crazy how much how many people there are that can support these these business districts or these kind of shopping districts. So that was what stuck out in my mind. We took the ferry back and took some photos at night. It was kind of cool. There's some of the buildings that had ticker tape running up the side of the building. Like imagine a skyscraper with words printed on the side of the skyscraper that would like feed up. It would 
it would say, I, I don't know what it said, something about autumn or whatever. I have, a, I think I've posted a picture of it. And so that was kind of cool. I don't know how they did that. And then, so we you know whatever, went back to our hotel. The next day we went to this place called Big Buddha. So we basically, I believe we took the train out there and then a bus. I can't remember how we got out there, but anyway. So once you get to the, this kind of edge of the water, you actually get in a gondola and it takes you really, really high. I definitely posted pictures of that. And you go in this like 30 minute gondola ride through the mountains over the ocean and then just when you think it's ending it's not ending it's actually just taking a corner and then it takes you like really really deep into rural hong kong where there's no city there's no nothing it's just trees and mountains and water and it's crazy and then just over the horizon you see this massive buddha statue well it's not it's like the size of like a pea. It's puny, like because it's but it's in the distance. But you can tell already that it's massive. So that was really cool. When we get off, and it's like I don't really know the history of of this big Buddha, but it seems like a modern structure that they built for the sake of tr- attracting tourists. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's old and they're just renovating it, or I don't know if there's parts that are old mixed with parts that are new. But anyway, this little village was created with you know lots of little shops and restaurants and souvenirs and and that kind of stuff and you walk through that and it's like a like cobblestone and it's very nice it looks new and then you walk a ways you know through this village and the whole time in the background you're seeing this big buddha this massive buddha statue on top of this mountain sitting in like a lotus position and you know that's kind of cool so we get to the base of this mountain and it's like 500 steps up to the top of this mountain and the whole way this is massive buddha statue sitting on top so that was really cool um i get to the top of that and we can basically overlook the mountains the the photos don't really look that great they don't look as good as like what your eyes can see so i don't think i really posted that many photos but it was really incredible to stand on top of that mountain and look over this landscape with like the ocean and the mountains and these other kind of really ancient looking structures they're like buildings with the kind of spiky roof i don't know what they call those in in uh, hong kong so from there we instead of taking the gondola back we actually took a bus back to this to the train station it took a little bit longer but i think it was cheaper or something I, I can't i can't remember why we did that but anyway so i literally cannot remember how we got there i don't know if it was the same day as the big buddha if it was near uh if we took a bus there i, I literally can't remember but we went to this like stilted city which is in this island like again it's like really rural hong kong has nothing to do with you know the big city and all that kind of stuff it's way out there and it's this small island that has houses built on these like these long kind of poles i think the poles made like bamboo i can't really remember you know they built them on these stilts this like stilted city it's not really a city it's like a village because i guess the land is not you know the land is scarce they build their houses on sticks and these are really you know these are not really houses houses they're like well whatever so yeah so anyway so from the stilted city there was this boat ride that we took that took us out in the ocean to see pink dolphins but um, unfortunately we got out there there was no dolphins to be seen so we got back and just kind of checked around the village which had you know some mangy dogs and cats and some abandoned warehouse type buildings and 
So we started walking through the town, through where people live, and quite quickly we got to a place where there was no one around. It was just me and Sarah. And uh, this is where I took the picture of this giant spider. There was this massive spider, which was, you know, with his legs stretched out, he was easily bigger than my hand. He was such a big spider. And he took down this full-grown, full-size butterfly, had it in its web. And I have a picture of that. I posted that on Facebook. It's, it's really crazy. So anyway, we keep walking. The sun is just killing us. Uh, but we make our way up these stairs. We just find these stairs up this kind of side of this hill. So we're like, all right, I guess, you know, cause it's, we're just walking and there's really only one way to go, right? There's this one road through town at the end of the road, there's these stairs. So we're like, okay, well, I guess we're going up these stairs. We go up the stairs and there's like tombs on the side of the mountain. It was really strange, like grave sites, whatever. We push past those. We're seeing bugs that we've never seen before, really cool butterflies and dragonflies and things squawking in the bushes that we can't identify. And I'm pretty sure there's tons of those spiders around, even though we only saw two of them. So we're walking and basically we get to the top of this hill and I took a picture of that. It's like, you know, this this stone walkway with this red fence. And I don't know what what the purpose of that for i think that entire mountain if i had to guess was a grave site because there's lots of kind of gravestones and that kind of thing but from the top is it were actually kind of cool because you could look down over the ocean and and whatnot and there's not another person around like for you know as far as i could see you know we we were the only ones up there so so that was kind of cool but eventually we walked back it was just too hot we're just pounding water the whole time sweating it out um and you know we're getting a little bit hungry sarah stopped by to get some like fish ball like a curry fish ball and you know i'm always really cautious when i go to other countries well especially in like you know rural countries where maybe the hygiene isn't the same standard as canada and you know they got a lot of street food and and stuff like that and i'm just really cautious i want all my food to be cooked or stored at a really cold temperature so you know there's no bacteria because i don't want to get sick so sarah grabs this fish ball and so as we were walking through the city we see a bunch of like people like you know racks for like drying fruit like drying mangoes and drying fish and they are just covered with flies like so when we get to this street vendor who's selling these fish balls, I just assume that they're at one point covered in flies and, and maybe a fly laid some eggs in it or something. So I stayed away from it. But Sarah tried it and didn't have any problems. So that was good. The next day, we take a ferry to Macau. This is a little trick if you're ever in Macau. From the ferry terminal, you can actually just pretend you're a client at one of the major hotels and take a free shuttle into town. So that's what we did. We took a shuttle into the Sands Hotel. The Sands Hotel happens to be within walking distance of some of the famous sightsees, things to see, like, you know, the ruins of St. Paul, which is this really ancient church from like the 16th century. Everything's gone completely, but uh, the facade is still there. And we have our backpacks with us. It's hot. Backpacks are heavy. We're stopping to take photos, all that kind of good stuff. You know, after after a while, like carrying these bags and, and the sun, like my stomach kind of started acting up, but I, I just kind of ignored it. And we pushed on and went to this fortress 
that protects this mountain and then you climb up this mountain and because the mountain was so big and we're carrying these heavy packs what we actually decided to do was go one at a time so sarah sat on a bench and i just left all the packs with her and then i ran up the mountain and took some photos and my stomach was acting up so i actually had to run to the washroom and i was thinking thank god i went first because had i stayed at the bench and sarah went I couldn't necessarily go to the washroom with three 50-pound bags. You know what I mean? So that was a bit of an emergency. I had to run to kind of take care of business. And then I got back to where Sarah was. Sarah went. She was gone for like what seemed like an eternity. It seemed like an hour. And my stomach kind of started acting up again. I was just praying that she'd come back soon. Fortunately, nothing. There was no incident where, you know, I was going to the washroom in a bush or something. But, you know, I was looking around. I'm like, if this gets serious, I'm going to have to have a strategy for this situation. And I didn't really have a good strategy. There's really nothing I could do. There's people everywhere and nowhere to hide. And I have three huge bags with me. It was just a bad situation. But anyway, Sarah returned, grabbed our bags, and we went up the other side of the mountain, which happens to be a museum. From there, we actually, we walked back to the Sands Hotel, took a shuttle to the airport because we just pretended to be Sands customers going to the airport and they have a free shuttle. So once we get to the airport, we take another shuttle from the airport to the Venetian Hotel. You know, we just pretend to be customers of the Venetian and they have a free shuttle. We get on, they take us to the Venetian, which is in a totally other part of town. So we don't have to pay for taxis or anything like that. So that was kind of cool. And the Venetian, we spent the rest of the day in the Venetian, which is so nice. It's like the epitome of opulence. This place is decked out in like, you know, frescoes and gold and statues and marble. And it's so big that it may as well be a mall because you need a map to get around. It branches out like a spider web and all these different hallways on, I think there's a couple of levels. And what was cool about it is inside the Venetian it kind of felt like the Truman Show, like the whole roof on this one part, like of the mall part, not the casino part, was painted to look like the sky, you know, blue with clouds and that kind of stuff. And then inside was water, like this waterway, kind of like Venice in the city of Venice in northeastern Italy. And in the waterways were the same type of boats they have in Venice all the shops look like Venetian style architecture. And in the boats, they have guys that look like traditional Venetians and they're singing opera and, and rowing people around. You can go, go for a boat ride and you kind of tour around the mall in this water. It's, it's really incredible. So when that was done, we just took the shuttle from the hotel back to the airport and we got on a flight to Bangkok. So yeah, once we're in Bangkok, we get off the plane and some lady comes up to us, some like, you know, attractive Asian girl. She's, I don't know, 25 or 26, something like that. And she's like, we're looking for a taxi and we go to, they have like these taxi booths where you can go and arrange a car service. And there's a couple of those. And then outside you can just hail a taxi. But from what we've read, tourists, foreigners get ripped off. You're going to pay like 10 times what you're supposed to pay. So we knew this. So we're going around to all the, the shuttle services, trying to find the best price. And this lady comes up to us. She goes, hey, man, are you guys looking for a taxi? And we're like, yes, we are. And she's like, okay, cool. Me too. Where are you guys going? 
So I'm really skeptical, right? Because I'm, you know, a little bit cynical person and maybe think the worst in situations, especially when before this trip, that's thinking of all the negative things that can happen. All the, the traveler's diarrhea, the malaria, the, the times we're going to get ripped off, the times we're going to get robbed, our bus is going to break down or we're going to crash in our airplane. I'm just thinking of all the things that can go wrong. And especially because I have to look after Sarah, I'm like a bigger, stronger physical person. So in terms of security, she's relying on me more than I'm relying on her. So I'm kind of like the head of security detail. So if we get robbed, I don't know. I just was thinking about all those kinds of things. So this chick comes up to us, very attractive and wants to know where we're going. So I'm, I'm a little on edge or, you know, I'm a little skeptical and, you know, kind of trying to see how this plays out. So we take out our itinerary. We show where we're going. She goes, oh yeah, great. That's where I'm going too. Would you guys like to split a taxi? So we're like, yeah, okay. She's like, yeah, but first I actually have to go get a SIM card over here. So if you don't mind, we're like, uh, yeah, okay. So we start following her down this hallway and I'm like, okay. So I whisper to Sarah, yeah, this is where we're going to get robbed. She's going to go around the corner. There's going to be three big nasty men with guns and they're going to take all our stuff. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. So we're negotiating with this taxi driver and this freaking lizard is on the side of this taxi, like a gecko. And, you know, we're from Canada. I've never seen a gecko before. And I'm like, oh, dude, check out the lizard. And as I said that, it jumps into the car and we can't see it anymore. And so nobody wants to get into the car because there's this freaking lizard somewhere in there. So this girl who we're with is like freaking out. She's like, dude, I don't want to take this taxi. I'm like, well whatever. It'll be fine. You know, generally speaking, the people that are together should stay together. Like me and Sarah should be in the back seat together. And this girl who is a random, we don't know her, should be in the front seat. That's just like, you know, most logical. But she's like, yeah, dude, can you please take the front seat? I'm like, fine. Yeah, I'll take the front seat. So I'm sitting in the front seat, Sarah and her in the back seat. And I don't know where this lizard is. We, We looked for it. We couldn't find it like before we left, but it, you know, long story short, it didn't get us. Anyway, we got dropped off at the hotel, check in. It was, I believe it was late at night and we didn't do much. I think we just went to sleep. So the next day we get some breakfast. We have to walk like maybe four blocks from our hotel to the kind of the main street. And we have no idea where we're going or where we're going to get breakfast or anything like that. But we immediately get like hounded by people. They're like selling food, they're selling shirts, they're selling this. Hey, do you want this? want that? It's like to describe it, it would be like, imagine being like Rihanna or like a Justin Timberlake walking through a mall. Everyone is going to bother you, right? Everyone's going to be taking your picture. You know, people weren't taking our picture of that, but they're they're all like paying attention to us and trying to sell us stuff. And we're just like, no, 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 thank you. And they just kept asking, come on, man, come on, man. And it's like, got really, really annoying within those first few blocks. And then like, we're obviously lost. We don't know, the, we don't know where we're going. We're trying to find a breakfast spot. So this guy comes up to us. He's like, hey, man, are you guys lost? Now, in my country... Most people that come to help you, they don't have an agenda. They just, you know, they just are good people. They just want to help you. They don't want money. They don't want nothing. But in this country, or at least from my experience, everybody wants something from you. Nothing's free. So when you get like advice from somebody, generally speaking, they want money after, or they want you to go in their tuk-tuk, or they want you to buy a samosa or whatever they're selling. But so yeah, that was, you know, people coming up to us and, and we just basically ignored them so after that, we this is the plan. We're going to take a taxi to this waterway. And from the waterway, you can actually take a boat ride. It's, it's like public transit, but 
you can take a boat from point A to point B, and there's lots of stops along the way. And that's what we plan to do. So, but there's two kinds of boats. There's one that's like a public boat and one that's a private boat. So we're at the hotel. And like I mentioned earlier, everybody wants something from you. You, you, It's really difficult to get help from people, take people's advice because they all have an agenda. Even the people at the hotel have an agenda. So we're at the hotel and this guy is like, yeah, I'll call you uh, a taxi. It'll be whatever, like a thousand baht. We're like, uh, no, that's that's okay. We'll, we'll take care of ourselves. Like, oh man, you sure? Uh, you know, he can arrange everything for you. Take you there, take you on a private boat, take you up the waterway. So we're like, well, what's the difference between a private and a public boat? He's like, oh man, the public boat sucks. You can't see anything. It's basically all closed off. The private boat's really nice. You get to see everything, take pictures. It's really great. Okay, how much is the private boat? It's like 10 times more than the public boat. So we're like, oh yeah, okay, well, we'll think about it. So so we leave the hotel and there's another guy. He's like, hey man, want me to call you cab? Blah, blah, blah. Come back, come back. So we're like, no, 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 it's okay. This is our own hotel. And they're like, I don't know if they get a commission off booking something or they call their friend i don't know so we just like no no we'll think about it we go to get breakfast we take a taxi of our own just try to negotiate on ourself and we and sarah does the talking she flags this taxi down gets in and waves me over she's like okay, okay come on let's go so we get in we start driving and we're like hey do you know where to go and this guy's like not speaking english and i go hey how much he goes one i go one what i'm like 100 baht he's like no no 1000 i'm like no let me out right now I don't want to pay 1000 because I know because I did re- or Sarah, I can't remember who did research. We did research. We also asked some of the hotel people what it would take to get us from the hotel to this like river, riverway. And they're like 80 baht by like a meter taxi. So we're like, okay, if we get, if we pay a hundred baht, which is like a dollar, who cares? But this guy's trying to charge us t- like a thousand baht. Come on, that's just brazen. That's like being greedy. You know, he shot too high. Maybe if he went 500 and talked us down to 300, yeah, maybe. But he immediately charges us 10 times more. That really offended us. We're like, no, 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 let us out, let us out. So we drove like a block and we just hopped out. So we figured this is going to, this type of trend is going to continue. People are going to constantly rip us off. So what we ended up doing is walking to the nearest hotel. They called a taxi for us. They negotiated that it's by meter and then we hopped in. We get all the way across town to this waterway. It costs like 80 cents. It was like pretty awesome. Get to the waterway, take the public transit boat, which is identical to the private boat. The, the guy at the hotel, I, I you know, became clear that he was lying or he's trying to get us to spend more money, but it's literally like 10 times cheaper. It's like 80 cents a ride versus $10 a ride or something like that, like public versus private. And it, it was fine. You know, you could take pictures. And so we cruise up this uh, waterway. We get off, walk to the Grand Palace, and there's big signs in front of the Grand Palace that say, you don't need to pay for clothing. A lot of people will tell you that it's closed. There's like Bangkok. I don't know. I had a really bad experience. Everyone's so scammy there, you know, like everyone's trying to take advantage of you. They tell you like, oh yeah, sorry, the, the palace is closed today. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, yeah, it, it, it reopens at three. It's say like one o'clock. But I, don't worry, I can take you around in my tuk-tuk for two hours and I'll drop you back here when it when it opens. We're like, it's not closed, you idiot. It's open. There's like people walking in and out. Like, quit trying to scam me. I'm not I'm not dumb, right? And then you, like, you walk further and people are like, hey man, you, you can't go in with a tank top. Sorry, man, you can't go in. We're like, well, who the fuck are you, right? Do you work here? You don't work here. And he's like, don't worry, I'll sell you this. I'll, no, he's not even selling. He's renting us clothing like pants and a shirt so you can go into the temple or to like the palace and there's big signs that say don't trust anyone regardless of what people tell you the palace is always open the palace 
doesn't charge for clothing, all this kind of stuff. So you have to push past all those people and, you know, watch your wallet and watch your camera and all that kind of stuff. Get into the palace and my stomach is acting up again. So I had to run to the washroom. At this point of the trip, I'm getting a little kind of backed up. I don't have a regular bathroom cycle. And that's kind of worrisome because you never know when that type of thing is going to pop up. When you haven't gone to the washroom in like two days and your stomach's kind of gurgling and I don't know, it's it's not a good situation. So, so anyway, we walked around the Grand Palace. If you've never been to Bangkok, it is freaking hot there. We happened to go like in October, November. So it was is October, but so it wasn't as hot. I've actually been to Bangkok before and to the Grand Palace before. And it was, I went in like the summer. It was ridiculously hot. This was not as hot, but it was still like, you know, high 30s, like 38 degrees. It was really hot. So Sarah and I took refuge for as much as we could under shaded parts. At the Grand Palace, you basically have to take your shoes off to get into this temple. And Sarah has literally $2 sandals. Like they're not expensive. They don't look expensive. It's the type of sandal you'd get like a dollar store. Just really thin foam with a strap a plastic clear strap that goes between your toe and around the top of your foot. So she kind of stashes those for some reason underneath this shoe rack. And my sandals are really crappy. They don't look nice. And I just put them out in the open, whatever. So we do the the temple, grab this little bin, dip water on her heads with, well, with this like flower. And then when we come out, Sarah's sandals are gone. I was like, who would steal $2 sandals? Mine are still here. So she's, we're walking all around. They're nowhere to be seen. So I start looking at the people's feet to see if anyone stole them. She's like, well, no, it's, it's okay. I'll just walk to one of these shops and buy a new pair of sandals. So we walk around. For some reason, her sandals show up. The exact spot where she left them, but a level, a shelf up. But I know for a fact they that's not where they were because my sandals were on that shelf. So somebody, I, I don't even know what, somebody took the sandals and then put them back. I, I don't know. It was really strange. But anyway, she got her shoes back, her sandals back. So that was good. So we took a bus to Reclining Buddha, which is this massive golden Buddha lying down. It's in this building. It's really incredible. It's, it's like, I don't know how long it is, like 100 feet, this giant gold Buddha statue. And... So that was kind of cool. And then we want to check out this other place called the Golden Mountain or the Grand Mountain or something like that. I, I can't remember what it was. And our map wasn't really that accurate. So we weren't sure if it was the entire city block at the end. Like it wasn't really clear. It's based, the map was telling us that it's generally in that area. So we walk out to the bus stop and there was like you know, the bus stop tells you what buses go by that bus stop. So there's like the 87, the 57, the 41, and like the 37. I, I don't know, it was like four or five. So for the next hour, we saw like four of every bus. And it's like, what the hell, man? Like this is like the fifth 87 bus that we've seen. And then finally, after like waiting so long in the hot sun and, you know, people waiting at the bus stop with us and they all got their bus and they all come and go. So we're still in there getting bit by mosquitoes. Finally, our bus comes, we get on, take a bus through the city quite far and get off at the stop. Now it's around five o'clock at this time, maybe, maybe six o'clock. The sun's kind of setting and we're trying to get to this grand mountain. We think 
based on because Sarah was doing like this navigation with her finger, basically like GPS, like every time she'd cross a road, she'd kind of slide her finger up this map. So we figured we were in the area. So we're like, hey, we'll just get off the next bus stop. And she's like, I think I see the top of it in the distance. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just get off here. So the bus stops, they just pull up to the stop and you have to get off pretty quickly. So not a lot of time to decide and it drives off. Apparently, Sarah didn't say, let's get off here. She said, I can't remember what she said, but she said something like, we should get off at the next stop or something. I I don't know what she said, but I heard, hey, we should get off now. So I just shot up and I'm like, hey, let's go. And I jumped off. So we end up walking like freaking like eight to 10 blocks. And we're like, where the heck is this Golden Palace thing? By now it's like nighttime. We're tired. We, We haven't eaten food we've been on the sun all day. We're exhausted. I'm like, I don't care about this thing. You know, to be honest with you, I don't care about this golden mountain. I can't find it. So like, Hey, let's just take a uh, taxi back to our hotel. She's like, okay, fine. It's like six 30. It's dark. There's no taxis anywhere to be had. We're like not in a touristy part of town. So we flagged down some taxis and there's like, you know, tuk-tuks everywhere and, and people and, and night markets. And, you know, there's a lot of things happening, but not touristy, kind of like more for the locals. So we're kind of pushing our way through these crowds. And then we flag down a taxi. They don't speak English. We have like a business card with our hotel name on it. We're like, you take us there. They're like, no. Uh, okay. Shut the door, drive away. I'm like, what, what the hell? Why, why doesn't a taxi in our country, it's actually against the law for a taxi to refuse you anywhere you are in Vancouver or in Canada. As far as I know, if you flag a taxi, they have to take you and it's always run by meter. You never negotiate prices, but that's not the case. Other parts of the world. So this taxi is like, no, no, no waves us off and like tells us to go, go away, shut the door. So we're like, okay, shuts the door, drives away. We're like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Another one comes up, flags them down. They're like, where are you going? This place. Nope. Sorry. Drives off. We're like, what the fuck? Right. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe we're on the wrong side of the road and they don't want to turn around. As bizarre logic as that is, like, well, I don't, that doesn't really make sense. If the taxi has to turn around, that's actually better for them. It's more more fair for them, right? Basically, longer the longer trip. So, like, well, let's try the other side of the road and go in the direction that we want to go. We hailed another four taxis, one after another. They all said, nope, nope, sorry, boom. Well, you know, they didn't speak English, but they just waved us off, closed the door. We're like, what the hell, right? Like, I don't know where a bus is and I don't know how to get back to our hotel other than taxi. And it's way too far to walk. And if these taxis are are refusing us, how are we going to get back to our hotel? And there's no hotels. Our other theory, it's like, well, let's go to a hotel, pretend we're clients there and get them to call us a taxi. I mean, surely they can't refuse us. But, you know, we've been on our feet all day. It's hot. We're sweaty. We're We're tired. We're hungry we're walking around. There's no hotels. Like I mentioned, it's not in like a touristy district, right? Finally, some, some Chinese guy, he's like, Hey man, like, are you guys, where are you guys from? So I don't know, for some reason he didn't look scammy. Maybe he's just being nice and he speaks English. So I'm like, okay, I'll talk to you. Like most times I was just trying to avoid talking to people because I don't want them to, to try to rip me off or scam me or try to try to sell me something but this guy for some reason i'm just like yeah we're from uh we're from canada right he's like okay cool where are you guys trying to go we're like we're trying to go to our hotel how come all the taxis are refusing us he's like oh um it's because it's lots of traffic and you know people don't want to bother with the traffic i'm like yeah but it's more fair for them like what do they care and what we found out later is that it's not that these people were saying no to us 
you actually have to present them with an offer. You say, take me to this hotel for 300 baht, and then they'll start talking. I guess they didn't want to do meter. Even if these guys presented us with an offer, even if it's ridiculous, like, hey, we might take it, right? I don't care if it's a thousand baht. I just want to go home. But, but so we didn't know that. So this guy's like, here, okay, let me, let me help you out. I speak Thai. I'm like, okay, cool. He flags us a taxi, talks in Thai. So where do you guys want to go? I want to go to this hotel? Okay, get in. It's 300 baht. We're like, perfect, fine, no problem. The next day, we just decided to take it easy. We went upstairs in the morning and went for a swim. That was really awesome. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily like, you know, normal day life. My life is not that packed with events. It's not like I'm wake up in the morning. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. I'm taking a bus here. I'm doing this. It's a little more relaxed. I wake up, I check the internet, I do some writing, you know, go for a workout, have lunch. You know, it's very kind of relaxed lifestyle. So I was kind of looking forward to just a relaxing day, just spending by the pool. We're out in the sun, we're swimming around. So that, that was pretty awesome. And it was like a really nice rooftop pool. You know, we stayed in a pretty nice hotel. So the next day we get on a plane and we go to Yangon, which is in Myanmar, which is formerly known as Burma. And Burma used to be under a dictatorship. You know, I don't know much about Burma, to be honest with you. But from what I understand, they recently opened their borders to tourists. So they're not used to tourists. And in some parts, like in Yangon, for instance, they're definitely aware that if they build nice stuff that tourists want to go to, then you know, like hotels, there's like really nice hotels there. And there's also some really crappy hotels too. But the point is they're, they're expanding and there's tons of things that the government banned from what I understand, which is next to nothing, but there's lots of things that the government banned. I think it was communist where you couldn't have competing businesses. Like basically the government owned everything. So we actually know some kind of well-off people there. And they're just kind of scrambling to come up with the next big idea. Not not like it's a new idea, but just because it's an untapped market. Like, you know, this one dude we know has got an LED business. So he's supplying all the LED lights to pretty much everywhere because he's the only LED guy, right? So he's got huge hotel contracts and he just ships them in or whatever. And that's a huge business. Or, you know, you could bring in like a, like a car dealership or something that sells Toyota because... They don't have Toyota there, something like that. So these people are just trying to rack their brains like, oh, what can I come up with? So we get to Yangon at night. We're driving through this uh, city and it's looking pretty rugged from what I can tell. The sidewalks are kind of don't exist or if they do, they're they're broken or, you know, the roads are, are dirt or mud at this point because it's pouring rain. And this is torrential rain. And that's saying a lot cons- considering I'm from Vancouver and it rains a lot here. So anyway, we take the taxi back to the hotel and it was decent. It was like, you know, a five, well, I shouldn't say decent. It was like a five out of 10. It was like a really rundown hotel. There's like geckos climbing on the walls and it's a, it's a bit sketchy, but you know, the, the staff is, is nice. And uh, there's one guy there that speaks English pretty good. And he's just a young guy. He's probably, I don't know, like 22. And he seemed to like manage the place. And, you know, he's really friendly and it made us feel real comfortable. It got us some drinks and uh, helped carry our bags and stuff like that. So Sarah and I, at that time, this, the rain had stopped. Within that, whatever, 15 minutes after we arrived, the rain had stopped, which was pretty awesome. We still brought an umbrella from the hotel. So yeah, we're, we're walking around in our sandals. It's muddy, it's rainy, it's really underdeveloped. I'm talking like 
third world country not doing so well and there's cars going every way every which way and and little scooter bikes and you know there's no traffic uh, signs there's nothing right so we're waiting for our spot to cross the road we find this indian place it's it doesn't have a door on it in fact it's only got like three walls one wall is just completely open so we kind of you know walk up this ramp uh, this like cement ramp from the street and we go in get some menus the guy speaks english he's really friendly you know, we just point to some things at the menu. I, I have no clue. He's like, yeah, let's bring you some chicken. So I'm like, all right. Food comes out. It looks amazing. It looks like, you know, typical, you know, Indian food. They got a metal dish essentially with different sections of things. Like, you know, it's not like a normal plate where it's the whole thing's flat. It's got divots like an Indian style plate where you can put, you know, compartmentalize all your food. It's got like a rice and I think three sauces, which are indeterminate i don't know what they were they looked good though and then he brings you like a a chicken leg so i'm like okay let's dig in but the food uh was like ice cold and i'm already a little skeptical about the food i have a very sensitive stomach i i don't eat like to i'm a very you know big on textures i don't like to eat like mushrooms and and i don't like raisins like you know sometimes people put like raisins in their like fried rice and i don't like i don't like mixing textures and stuff like that and the reason like you know if i put something in my mouth and it feels like a bug or it feels like mushy or or something like that i might throw up so i'm cognizant of that but i'm also trying to stay away from food that has been left out because generally speaking bacteria grows on food that is room temperature stuff if it's not really hot or really cold it's like a petri dish of bacteria it just and you get really sick so the food comes it's cold it's not ice cold like it hasn't been in the fridge but it's kind of room temperature so i'm kind of nibbling at at it and and whatever i'm checking out the meat to see if it's cooked and i'm i'm holding back i don't really want to go to town on this thing because i just eat enough so i don't starve to death essentially then after we just left well we paid and then we left and went back to the hotel and i'm not really feeling good at this point you know my stomach is is sore so i decide to go to the washroom and I'm sitting on the toilet for 30 minutes. Nothing's happening. Like, I don't feel good. I feel like I might have to use the washroom, but nothing's happening. And, you know, it's not a good sign. So I go back to my bed and uh, Sarah's sitting on her bed, you know, unpacking or doing whatever she's doing. She's on the internet. And so I lay down for a bit. Uh, you know, five minutes later, I'm back on the toilet. A little turd comes out not really a big deal. It was enough to kind of, I guess, relieve the pressure, but I wasn't really happy about that. So anyway, we're exhausted, traveling all day, nothing else to do. We're like, you know what? Let's just go to bed. It's like whatever, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock. So we're sleeping in separate beds, like twin beds. And at night, the bugs or or birds or monkeys or whatever they were. It sounded like a freaking jungle. It sounded like we're sleeping in the jungle. Like there's things squawking and squealing and creaking and things yelling. It's like it was so loud and so noisy. It was you it was impossible to sleep. I was like, "Oh my god, I was laid in bed for easily 3 hours." So let's just say we went to bed at 11. It's like 2 a.m. And I'm wide awake and I cannot sleep and I'm trying so hard. It's just so noisy, right? So I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe if I crawl in with Sarah, it will be better because I don't know why. It just maybe, maybe it would be better. 
And I also assumed, you know, there's a part of me where I was kind of hesitating, like, I don't really want to wake her up because if she's sleeping, that would be unfair of me to wake her up. But then I thought, well, there's no way she's be able to sleep. This is like so much ruckus, right? So I think I went to the washroom again. I was, I was on the toilet for another 20 minutes or so in the pitch black. I'm pretty sure there's creepy crawlies, you know, critters running around, but I try not to pay attention to that. Nothing's really happening on the, on the, in the bathroom. So I go to Sarah's bed, I crawl in and there's obviously not enough room. It becomes immediately clear that I woke her up and she's not happy. So I leave, I go back to my bed, I toss and turn basically all night, not getting very much sleep and, you know, wake up the next morning. And so we're sitting down in the lobby, essentially checking in and they're, you know, doing something with our passports and make sure the room's all ready and stuff like that. And then they, they bring us some juice. So we're sitting there sipping this, it's kind of like Tang and they bring us this form to read like a hotel legal disclosure of you know, things being stolen in the room. They're not responsible. But one sentence was hilarious. It was, it said valuables such as money, jewelry, and one opera demon will not be the hotel's responsibility. And they want you to sign off on it. So I called the guy over the, the young kid who's managing the place or seems to be managing the place. So I asked him to explain what one opera demon means. What, what am I signing off here? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. He says, oh yeah, don't worry about that. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't really make any sense. Like, it's not like you can kind of see what where the writer was coming from. You know, as a writer, I'm trying to think like, hey, wh- what is he trying to say? But I, I, don't, I don't know. I still don't know. But for the next two days, we were trying to find as many instances as possible where we could slip in the phrase one opera demon just to kind of make ourselves laugh. So the next day we meet up with our friend. Well, not my friend. It's Sarah's friend. I don't even know this lady. And she's actually from Burma. She's from Yangon and went to high school there. She went to like a an exchange, like an American exchange school there. So she's friends with a bunch of other Americans or American-y type people. She's not American. She's from Thailand, but basically outsiders that for some reason, maybe their parents own a business. I, I can't really remember, but they're all there and they're usually pretty rich, these kids, right? So we, we get a taxi to this house. We get Sarah's friend to give us directions and driving through this windy, bumpy road on the other side of town. And it's a really nice neighborhood. I mean, these houses are like really impressive considering the neighborhood that we're staying in. This is a little bit different. And, you know, it's like kind of a, not a gated community, but each house has got this brick fence around it. And then it's got like a big iron gate at the front and usually like four or five cars parked in the driveway. So, but, but the thing is like the order of the houses is not consecutive or sequential so you know usually in most places it's like i don't you know they go like odd numbers so it'd be like you know house two then four then six and then eight and then the other side of the street will be like you know one three five so on but in this place it was like you know 50 we're looking for like house 54b so you get like 51b 52b 53b 55b it's like what the hell where's 54b and then, you know, we go around to like the other part of the street. We're asking people, they're like, oh yeah, it's just down there. So then it's like, you know, 54A, 55A. It was like, what the heck, right? We finally come up to this house, which is 
in the middle of a sequence of numbers that has no business being in the middle of. It'd be like in the 20s, and it's like 21, 22, 54B, and then you know carry on 23, 24, that, that kind of thing. So we're like, oh, this has to be it. So, so, you know, it's a big iron gate. We buzz. The gate retracts. Sarah and I are, you know, we're lugging our bags with us because we're actually going to catch a bus that night. We're only staying in Bang On for one night, and at night we have to catch a car. It's actually not a bus. It's a car that going to take us to our next destination which is began in uh, Myanmar and it's like a 10 hour drive or 11 hour drive or something like that so we're going to leave at like 11 at night and hopefully arrive at nine in the morning or whatever the math is so Sarah and I are lugging our bags up this really long driveway and this guy comes and greets us he goes yes can I help you we're like, yes, we are. We explain who we are and who we're looking for. We're looking for Sarah's friends. We're, you know, invited guests. And he's got this confused look on his face. He's like, who are you referring to? We're like, oh, you know, like so-and-so, this friend of ours. And he's like, that person's not here. They're like, uh, okay, I'm, this is 54B, right? They're like, yeah. So we take out the address. He's like, this is your address, right? He's like, yeah. It's like, but that person's not here. We're like, do you have any kids or something like that? Like, do you have anybody that's our age staying with you at this house? He says, no, no, not at all. I'm like, is this your house? He's like, yeah, yes, yeah, I own it. Are you, I'm the owner. I'm like, all right, uh, I'm like, I don't even know what to do here because it's not like we have internet connection. We can't get in contact with this person. There's no internet cafe around. I'm not going to ask this dude who I don't know, like, hey, can I use your phone? We have no phone number to call. And like, what am I going to sit down on his internet? So I was like, okay, this is, you know, an interesting situation. I mean, we could walk around the neighborhood and maybe there's another 54B. So we're standing there like idiots. And suddenly Sarah's friend comes out the front door of this house with like four other people our age and we're like what the fuck man we're like she's like and then the, the friend's like oh hey like waves us over and we're like why didn't you tell us that's the person like we were asking about for the last 10 minutes and these are all the people that we asked we asked are they staying here and you said no and so we explain this to the friend i'm like yeah why didn't the guy know that you're here i mean you've been staying at this house for like a week she's like what guy i'm like that guy right there the guy hopping into that mercedes it's like, oh yeah, that guy, he's the driver. It's like, <laughs> what? He told me he owned the place. So find that kind of funny. And uh, so after the wedding, we go back to that uh, rich guy's house, change into some comfortable clothes and a car picks us up and it's, I don't know, 11 at night. And the car was one of those Scion cubes, those van type things. Um, they're really low to the ground. So like, you know, we get in it, we stuff our bags in the back, get comfortable. It's Sarah's friend in the front seat and Sarah and I in the back seat. And it's pitch black, middle of the night. We're pretty tired because we didn't sleep the night before. And this guy drives for an hour to get out of the city and to kind of get on the highway. And after an hour, he pulls over and I asked, how, hey, how does this guy dr- expect to start his shift at 11 o'clock at night and drive for nine, 10 hours. I mean, is he going to be okay to drive? Because I wouldn't be. There's no way. There's no way because unless this guy's shift, unless this guy's constantly working graveyards, that's that's a big order to fill, to drive 11 hours straight when you're supposed to be sleeping. So 
I'm like, yo, uh, is this guy okay to drive? Because that's a pretty long drive and it's pretty late at night. And Sarah is like, oh, yeah, yeah, because we were supposed to originally leave at four o'clock, but I thought it'd be better if we left late at night. So I called the car service and they had to change our driver. So, you know, I'm pretty sure this is a nighttime driver. He's a graveyard driver. So I'm like, okay, cool. After an hour, this guy pulls over and, you know, we're kind of nodding out. We, we don't really know what's going on. All of a sudden, we're pulled over on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around us. There's cars whizzing by us. But, you know, it's not like there's streetlights. And this guy doesn't speak English very well. I think Sarah's friend speaks some Burmese, so enough to kind of communicate with him. I can't really remember. So he gets out of the car. And this is kind of like when we woke up. We're like, hey, what's going on? And Sarah's friend goes, oh, yeah, he's sleepy. He said he's sleepy. I'm like, what? How is, what do you mean he's sleepy? It's like an hour in. And we're supposed to trust this guy to drive us the next 10 hours or the next nine hours. And he's feeling sleepy. Like, what's he going to do? Like, go and do some jumping jacks and expect to be fine. So he goes around to the back of the car, opens the, the hatch, and he gets like a bottle of water and takes a sip and does a stretch and he gets back in the car and the whole thing took like less than a minute maybe two minutes let's say two minutes so i said to the guy or i think i said to sarah's friend i'm like hey tell him to take his time you know our priority here is arriving safely and alive we're in no rush i mean if if he needs a coffee if he needs to stretch if he's not feeling up to this at all if he needs a nap even well wait so she she tells him that and the guy's like you know no it's fine it's fine i got this so so now everybody in the car is extremely nervous nobody wants to go to sleep because this guy could fall asleep and if you've never there's some times when you know you're watching a movie and you're trying to stay awake and your eyes are really heavy and you you think oh no no i i got this you know i can stay awake and the next thing you know you open your eyes and it's credits and you're like oh my god like I had no clue that I just fell asleep or, you know, some other situations where you just, you're maybe the passenger in a car and you're the same thing. You're trying to keep your eyes open. And next thing you know, you like hit a bump in the road and you like jump up and you're awake and you have no idea that you fell asleep. So that's the same type of thing that can happen. It happens all the time where people just fall asleep at the wheel and veer off the side of the road or they veer into oncoming traffic. It's so, so common because most people think they can stay awake. And they think, you know, like having the radio on or whatever is going to be good enough. But I know it's not good enough. So I'm terrified. And to make matters worse, the ride is the bumpiest ride. So this guy is driving, let's say, 100 miles an hour down a very narrow road. It's I, I don't even know if it was paved. I couldn't see it. But if you told me it wasn't paved, I'd believe you. Massive potholes everywhere. The car is bouncing up and down. It's shaking back and forth. He drives into oncoming traffic when there's corners and he shouldn't. You don't know what's around that corner. And so there's a car 100 feet away from this guy and he merges into the other lane and decides this is a good time to overtake this guy. And he's already going 100 miles an hour. And I don't know how much faster this van can go. So I'm really nervous. I'm like, I don't think this guy's going to be able to overtake this guy. And we're going to slam headfirst into this bus that's coming at us. If they can't overtake the person, the person who's 
the car, the vehicle that's being overtaken just drives onto the shoulder and allows you to share the lane beside him. So essentially two cars are going side by side in the lane and the guy that's coming head on, he also recognizes that you need space. So he moves onto the shoulder. So it's basically three cars traveling down a two car lane. So that was what was going on here. The potholes. This guy was sleepy. The lack of light. I couldn't see anything. I literally have no clue what's on either side of the road. And all I see is headlights. I don't, it's very difficult to gauge the distance of an oncoming car just based on the headlights. And I'm trusting this guy, this guy who's already told me an hour into this drive that he's sleepy. I'm trusting him with my life and my girlfriend's life and this life of this friend. It was very difficult to sleep because I didn't want to die. And I, and I literally had the thought, like, I might die on this trip. This might be how I go out. And there's no way you would survive a crash at that high speed. We we're going so fast. So the girl who's, you know, Sarah's friend who's sitting in the front seat is also freaking out. And she's telling the guy, hey, man, slow down. And he's overtaking cars. And she's like, hey, there's a, a corner around. Like, there's like a bend just up the way. You don't know what's around that bend. Like something, some car could be flying around that and nail us. And the guy just didn't answer. So that wasn't very comforting. So, you know, we're nodding out because it's obviously 4 a.m. at this point or 5 a.m., whatever it is. And we have to get some shut eye. It's just like, I just can't physically stay up. My eyes are heavy and I fall asleep. Sarah, she's sitting like the farthest away from me and the middle seat is not taken. So she's flopped over and her head is on my lap. And I have a hoodie bunched up and made into like a pillow for her. And all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but we hear the loudest like bang and it felt literally like the wheels had fallen off the car and well to be honest with you it felt like we we got dropped from a 20 foot it felt like we drove off a cliff let's put it that way and it just the bottom of the car smacks on the ground and gives us this incredible jolt and i literally panic at this time i jump up on my eyes are wide awake i go what was that what was that are, are like and I'm thinking like did we hit something are we going to die and the friend in the front seat was also sleeping and I guess like she when she woke up she has a better view than I do I'm in the back seat and later like we pull over like an hour later and we all get out and there's like a restroom and we're like what the hell was that back there and she's like I think we hit a dog it was it, it sounded like we hit a moose it was so loud and so jarring and so we checked the front of the car for any like she's like i think i saw blood i think i saw some chunks flying out so we checked the front of the car there was no damage no blood i and we asked the guy what was that back there he goes oh just a pothole but i I don't know it must have been a really deep pothole the whole car felt like it was going to fall apart and you know there's several other instances where we have to have to we actually had to pull over on the side of the road and what you're supposed to do well i mean the logical thing to do would be at least to put on your emergency lights, whatever those are called, um, whatever, like your emergency blinkers. And, but he, this guy forgot to do that. So we're just like this black object on the side of the road. And any one of us, like we could get hit at any time. Like say somebody merges into the shoulder because they want to make room for somebody and they don't know that we're there and they smash into us. So I'm like, come on, like we should get back in the car. This is, this is really dangerous. We get back into the car and from that restroom, 
Like we were on the highway, we pull off the highway and we go to this restroom. And then when we leave, we go to this like kind of loop-de-loop and then we get on like this dirt road. And I'm talking like there's nothing remotely, there's fields on, on either side of us. It's a one lane dirt road. And I'm like, I don't think this is the way we came. Are we back on the highway? Is this the highway? And we drove and I just trusted this guy, but I was a little bit skeptical and and kind of scared to be honest with you because what if we got a flat tire because it's like you know dirt road there's jagged rocks there's potholes and this guy's flying at like 100 miles an hour if we get a flat tire we might be stuck out here in the middle of the blazing sun i mean at that point the sun has was not up it was like the sunrise so it was like um dawn right and basically if we were to break down our vehicle at in any way and this is not like a good vehicle. I don't have any faith in a Scion, right? And, we, you know, we might be stranded out there. We, I don't think we have any water, any food. Nobody knows we're out there. So, you know, I'm kind of nervous. We'll keep driving for another like four hours and eventually get to some villages. Not even like a village. Like every 200 feet, there would be a hut with a straw roof and there'd be a cow out front and there'd be a chick carrying some like a big bowl a big like wicker basket on her head and be filled with like you know rice or like corn or something like that and there'd be like dogs running around and you'd have to like honk your horn for the dogs to get out of the way and and uh so we get into Bagan and I'm I have no idea what Bagan is I I just told you I know next to nothing about Burma um and I keep calling it Burma because it's just easier rolls off the tongue a little bit better than Myanmar so I don't know what to expect I didn't do research on Bagan, and so far, this looks like, you know those commercials that are like, hey man, just for price of a cup of coffee, you can help a village like this. You could help, you know, feed these kids. That's what it was like. It was just dirt floor and huts with made of straw and no water and blistering sun and mangy dogs. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't see a hotel around here. This is kind of freaking me out. Are we staying in one of these things? Are we staying in a tent? There's, you know, I'm sure there's like snakes and spiders and mosquitoes and all kinds of things that can get us out there. And I'm not looking forward to to that. Anyway, as it turns out, we go through this little township and get to our hotel, which is pretty cool. It's, you know, resorty. It's got like a pool and a, a restaurant and it's got palm trees and nice landscaping like it's pretty nice right and so we get there and there's like lizards crawling everywhere and things squawking in the trees and you know so we check in drop our bags off at our hotel and we rent bikes and is pretty awesome like b- biking around is like probably the best way to go about it maybe horseback ride was was the second best way because we did that the next day but so basically you get these bikes and you just ride and you go wherever you want and Bagan, what i discovered has like four thousand pagodas actually pagodas sorry i keep calling them pagoda and a pagoda frig pagoda is basically a buddhist temple and they're ancient and they're made of brick and stone and they have buddha statues in them and there are some of them are made of gold and some of them they're like really massive they're four or five stories tall maybe even taller like these big kind of pyramid type things like picture like you know like the mayan ruins or something like these stone structures that you can kind of walk up and on the top is usually like this umbrella type it looks like a bell but it's got like a pointy spiky bit 
So there's tons of those. We're taking pictures and there's uh, tons of like mangy dogs, like mostly female dogs and mostly pregnant female dogs with puppies and stuff like that. So it was like pretty cool. And there was nobody else around. It was just me and Sarah and uh, Sarah's friend. And as we got to some of the more popular pagodas, uh, there's kids that would come up to us and ask us to buy postcards. Like, hey man, buy a postcard, buy a postcard. Only only ten for a dollar. See? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten for a dollar. Where are you from? Where are you from? Uh and you don't want to be rude, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from Canada. Oh, Canada, they speak English and French. Uh, big the capital city Ottawa, big city, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, blah blah blah. Like they had all this stuff down and they're like, yeah, buy for a dollar. You buy. I'm like, no, 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 we don't want that. Thank you. They're like, maybe later. Maybe you come back. You change your mind. Maybe you buy now. 10 for a dollar. Uh, how about I give you 20 for a dollar? They're like, no, no, no. So that went on and the kids were kind of cute and you could talk to them. They spoke English like, hey, man, why are you not in school? Right. Like, what's going on? They're like, we need money for school. They're like, that's not true. Because the, the girl that we we're with is from Burma. And she knows, well, she claims to know. She's not from Bagan, but she claims to know that school's free. She's like, no, you're, no, it's not, you liar. The the school's free here. You, it's like the only reason you're out here is because you make more money here than going to school. And I kind of get it in some respects because, yeah, you want people to be educated. But to what end? I mean, because we met this guy the next day who was by our hotel and he ran and he, he was like a businessman because he had, he'd flag us down and be like, hey man, do you want to like, uh, what, do, what do you want? You want to like a, a horseback ride? We're like, yeah, we could go for a horseback ride. What, let's talk price. What do you got for us? And he's like, okay, well, tell you what. And he, you know, he'd be like, uh, so we negotiated him down to a fair price. He's like, all right. So then he like whistled like one of his boys come over or, you know, some, some young kid and some kid would like grab a horse, saddle the horse up, hook a like, a carriage up to it. It's like, all right, you go and this guy will take you. So this guy was like the horse pimp, right? So we're like, uh, okay, that's cool. And and then he he stayed back. He had like you know ten horses. And then he's like, um, so we dropped the the the, the horse off. And we're like, um, yeah, do you need a horse tomorrow? We're like, yeah, no, not really. Um, he's like, do you need bikes? Do you, what, what do you need? I'm like, well, we, we're actually leaving tomorrow. We're going to the airport. And he's like, do you need a ride? I'm like, well, we don't really want to take a horse to the fucking airport. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, 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 don't worry, I have a taxi. So the next day, so we're like, yeah, fuck, okay, we'll we'll take your taxi. So the next day he shows up. Well, it was like, we're like, okay, we need to be at our hotel at 2. And our hotel is just down the street from where he is. He's like, yeah, okay, no problem. So at 2 o'clock, I'm like, dude, where is this guy? So I go up to like where the horses are, and he's he's there. He's putting on a shirt. I'm like, hey, man, you, you coming? You didn't forget about us? He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, it's uh, the car's just being cleaned. So this kid like buffing the car, make sh- making sure it's clean, and then you know he tells the the kid like where to go. Yeah, just take them to the airport. So the kid drove us to the airport. So this guy doesn't he has a taxi that he doesn't drive. He has horses that he doesn't drive. He's got bikes that he doesn't you know he just rents them out. So this guy's like a businessman, but doesn't have a, a storefront, and he's he's but he's you know he's happy. He's making his business, and he's got a bunch of employees, and and he's got a two kids around him and i and you know i asked him like dude why are your kids not in school right he's like yeah no it's you know they, they need money so this is another instance that another person's like yeah they they need money for for school so we're like all right and uh the friend that sarah and i were with got upset she's like no that's that's not true that's not true you you need you don't need money and she's like yeah you need money for like uniforms and stuff like that 
So I'm like, you know, told the friend, yeah, whatever, just let it go, right? Who cares? And then I'm like, what difference does it make if they learn like mathematics or, or you know, they read Catch in the Rye? I mean, how's that going to help them in this life? If their life is to be driving a horse, like that that could be a good life. I mean, th- th- you don't have to impose your life and because you're educated. Like how many things do you remember from high school? So, I mean, learning to... And, and this guy the business owner, he probably will give these kids some sort of education, but it'll be directly relevant. You know, it'll be to how to run a business or how to speak English. It's like, you don't need to know what onomatopoeia means. You don't need to know like where to put a semicolon in a sentence or what, you know, a syntax is, or you don't need to know that. All you need to know is a few English phrases to get people from what, you know, where they want to go. And you might need a skill. You might need to know how to, you know, make a a chicken curry dish or something you know some kind of practical skill but that's that life you don't need to study marketing or you know study history or you don't need to know all that stuff so so that was kind of uh an interesting experience but that was day two back to day one on day one what we did is rode our bikes to this main pagoda. I'm going to call it a pagoda because I, I don't like the word pagoda. I, so we ride our bikes to this main pagoda, which has like 10 tour buses lined up in front of it and a bunch of tuk-tuks, a bunch of bikes and flocks of people. So we're like, uh-oh. Like this is like the, the high, either the highest pagoda or the, the most famous pagoda or the one with the best view pagoda. Something, but we knew about this because we did research online, as did, you know, the other thousand people that were there. So we had to pay, like, I don't know, I can't remember what we paid. Let's say a couple bucks a person. I think like two dollars, two American dollars per person. Pay the man their money. We get in, we climb up. This this pagoda is, like, really, really, really steep. And it's got a handrail. So, like, I and, like, really narrow steps. So I'm climbing up this thing, and it's, let's say, five stories. It's really tall. And we're climbing up. And we're taking photos and it's like the sun is about to set and we're getting to position like, you know, sun, sun won't set for like another hour because we've got to go early, right? It's got a good seat. So within that hour, we're just kind of walking around on top of this pagoda, taking pictures. And I don't use the phrase breathtaking that often. In fact, I don't probably have never used it unless I was quoting a Seinfeld episode, but this was truly breathtaking. I could not believe my eyes. What I was looking at was so surreal. It was like you look out on this really undeveloped landscape, kind of like, from what I remember, like a field. But as far as the eye could see, maybe some mountains in the background. And then scattered throughout the horizon were thousands of pagodas, like these spiky, towery bell things. And the sun was just right. And the the bricks were just right and like off it was so beautiful and i was taking pictures like crazy and i think i took a video i I don't know if it shows up the way like that your eyes see it but it's it's really exquisite so anyway we get in position we're sitting because there's no space we're actually sitting on the edge of this wall with our feet dangling over the other side and if we fall it's like a 20 foot drop down to the next level so you know we just very careful not to fall and then the sun sets we're snapping pictures like crazy and and it's really great and then it gets dark because once the sun goes down you know two thousand people have to find their way back home to their hotels or wherever they're going and we're on our bikes and there's a thousand bikes there and 
you know, we kind of put ours by a puddle so we can know, remember where we parked. And so the sunsets, we're taking pictures of the sunsets. So of course, when it's done, we have to navigate our way back down this really steep pyramid type thing with a thousand other people and find our way through this like dirt parking lot. And there's no street lights or anything like that. And so the next day we woke up, we went for a swim. The, the pool was, it looked great. It looked nice. We laid by the, the, the pool more than we went in. I didn't even go in because when I took a look at it, it was just covered with bugs and like mosquitoes basically lay their eggs in there. And before a mosquito becomes a mosquito, it's like a little swimming larva type deal. So the pool was filled with those things. It was gross among other bugs. And so I didn't go in it and neither did Sarah. I think she dipped her feet in, but she kind of shooed away all the pests before she did that and then we had breakfast or you know maybe we did breakfast and then i can't remember the order and then we went back to our friend or no this is so yeah this is day two we went to that guy with the horse and the guy with the horse took us around and we did some other pagodas that were a little bit further away we didn't want to ride our bikes and you know went to some went to a restaurant was like amazing amazing food we're the only ones there uh dirt floor like the tables the chairs were like molded plastic like kids chairs like you know it was like really crappy kids chairs and the table was like flipped over sign with like some crates it was like really ghetto and there was no door it was just like an overhanging roof so we ordered some things off the menu and the menu there's just flies everywhere uh the food comes out we're the only customers there there's only three of us the food comes out like two hours later it wasn't that long but it's like really long like an hour at least an hour and i'm like what is the guy like killing the chicken back there like what's taking so long finally the food comes out it was it was so good it was amazing i was like this this might be the best food i've ever had my entire life the only problem with that statement is that three weeks before i was with my aunt and uncle who are who are in town uh visiting me from toronto and we went to tropica which is like, I believe, a Malaysian slash Thai restaurant. I'm not sure if it's those two. I think it's those two. And I said the same statement. I'm like, oh, this food is the best food I've ever had in my entire life. So I might have a habit of saying that, but the point is it was really good food. And the guy was, you know, a sweetie. He was like this 50-year-old guy, but he's like really frail and, and whatnot. He, maybe he's 60. I don't know. He's an old guy. So we take the horse carriage back to the hotel and arrange for our taxi to take us to the bus station. I think I said before we needed a taxi to the airport. It's actually we needed a taxi to the bus station. So that's what happened. The cab paid, uh, picked us up, took us to the bus station, dropped us off. And so we were going to take a bus to Mandalay City, which is another city within Myanmar or Burma. And it was another overnight ride we were leaving at say five and we'd arrive at like i no it wasn't overnight we had arrived late at night like maybe 11 12 1 2 in the morning something like that maybe three in the morning it was something like that like it was an eight hour bus ride and what i didn't know then before i got on that bus was actually going to be the worst bus ride in my entire life i call it the bus ride from hell and I'm going to save that story for part two of the Edward Mullen podcast. Please stay tuned. I'm probably going to wait for Sarah to record part two of the podcast so she can kind of fill in some of the details that I may have missed. And that should be up in a few days. All right. Thanks for listening.